I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we explore those principles and cultivate those virtues that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Thanks for coming back for another week, folks. We are in the interim here between the end of the regular legislative session and what we are coming up on uh, known as Veto Day, March 29th. One more day for our regular legislative session. Hey, as we're uh, kind of in this gap time, I uh, wanted to provide some really good content that was uh, hosted on a, a friend of ours podcast, Lead Them to Life. Emily Leadham is the director of Catholic Family Services in Sioux Falls and recently invited me, your host, on to that show to explain the Equality Act, which is a piece of legislation going through uh, the Congress in D.C. So I hope you enjoy our conversation about freedom and the Equality Act. I'm to come back on the, on the podcast. I really love when I get um, requests for certain episodes or certain topics that people are curious about, um, you know, for listeners that have been with me a while, we cover such a, a broad range of topics, everything from, I did one on pelvic floor health uh, a couple weeks ago, all the way to um, how to enter into Lent well, and the, yeah, the gift of um, prayer and all of those different kinds of things. So we have a really broad range, but I really, really appreciate when I get requests for topics. And one of the requests that came in a couple um last week, maybe the week before, was, hey, when are you going to do an episode on on the Equality Act mm. that's uh, that was coming out? Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I, I don't know. And that's way, uh, not, I don't want to say it's over my head, but I'm not super familiar, but that's most of the topics on Lead Him to Life. So I just get to find people that know things about these things. And I thought, okay, Chris Moles would be great. But I really want to I want to have the conversation in a bit of a broader sense, if you will. Um, just framing like what is what is authentic freedom? What is it not? How do um, policies and, and procedures and, and things in the world allow or prohibit freedom, et cetera. So I really, I, that's kind of where I want to start. And I know this is just such a passion of yours. Um, you do a lot of this, this kind of conversation on your faith and politics, uh, podcast. And often when I have questions, I'm knocking at your door saying, okay, help form my mind here. Cause I'm mm -hmm. trying to navigate some of these questions. So, um, I think maybe a good place to start. I'm going to try and have a political conversation without being overly political. <laughs> this is my this is my effort for this episode. But a good place to start is um, how would you describe freedom? What what actually is freedom? Um, and how do policies procedures uh, things like that, rules, if you will, how do they uh, help our freedom or, or maximize our freedom or limit our freedom? Yeah, that's, a, that's a big question and a great question. Um, so maybe just starting with freedom. What is freedom? Um, freedom can be just really simply um, the power to, to choose one thing and not another, uh, to choose this or that. Uh, it's, it's rooted in our reason, it's rooted in our will, these sort of human human attributes. Um, but it's not just that. Uh, it's, it's more. Um, there's sort of a secular understanding of, of freedom that just stops there. 
Um, and we could talk more about that. But a fuller sense of freedom, a Catholic understanding of freedom, is that it's this power rooted in reason and will uh, to either act or not act, but but that it has that it's that it's a perfectible power, that it's um, that it's sort of a potential thing that attains its perfection when it's directed towards the good, when it's directed towards something uh, that is right. Yep. So yes, we can choose right or wrong. Yep. But freedom isn't just sort of this neutral, empty thing. It's for something. Yep. So like. For the good. Yeah, it's for the good. That's exactly right. So we can ask, what is, this is a, a, a book, what are freedoms for? It was written by the man who's now the president of Catholic University of America, was a, a law professor many years. John Garvey wrote a book, What Are Freedoms For? It's for the good. I'm holding a coffee cup in my hand. What is it for? Well, it's for holding coffee. You know, so we can, we can, um, we can describe it in these terms and understand, like, what is it, what is it for? Now, maybe just to briefly touch on, like, an empty or shallow view of freedom is summarized in a really famous uh, legal case dating back to the early 90s, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And for listeners of uh, faith and politics have, have probably heard me quote this case a time or two before. So when we talk about liberty, you know, liberty or freedom, maybe we could use those terms in- interchangeably. Um, that court, which really entrenched abortion, uh, the, 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 the so-called freedom to abort in U.S. law, says that um, at the heart of liberty um, is uh, at the heart of liberty is is the right to define one's own concept of of meaning, of existence, of of the universe, of, of the mystery of human life. It's sort of um, that we get to decide within ourselves what is good um, and that nobody else, uh, nothing else, can tell us what is good, what is right or wrong, that it's sort of this self-creation. And that's, that's just super, super dangerous. I think I adhered to that for a while hmm. prior to, really prior to an encounter with Christ that I had in high school and then it took a little while to continue to form form my mind, but I think that's a very common thing, and it and it can be subtle, even amidst even among good natured people. the The phrase that's really common is "you do you," yeah. right? You do you do what you want to do, and yeah. and in a certain sense, okay, great that there's there's some truth in that. But but what you're saying is when we take on this. Uh, this false sense of freedom that we can create meaning based solely on our perspective or on our perception that we're actually missing something. It sounds a bit like relativism. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, relativism kind of just being the idea that truth is relative. So a proper understanding of freedom is one in which it's inseparable from the truth of what is, uh, of all that is. And so we can say, yeah, it's, it's really dignifying for a human person to to chart the course of one's own life. Like, yeah, that's that's a good thing. Um, when the Catechism talks about about freedom, it actually goes so far as to say that it's freedom that makes us responsible. There is no such thing as responsibility, you know, to to choose well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, for for you and I as parents, we know that like part of our task as parents 
is to raise responsible kids, yeah. but that part of raising them as responsible human beings is that over time, we need to give them more and more power to direct their own lives. Mm-hmm. We need to form them in freedom and what it's for. Mm-hmm. If we just sort of sit over their shoulder and are constantly telling them, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I mean, we're not forming them in freedom, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's dignifying, actually, yeah. to, to, to make choices. But at the same time, um, choices have a component that um, that can be the basis for either praise or blame. A choice can be either good or bad. Okay. And relativism, this idea that truth is relative, would would strip our choices of the ability to be either uh, praise or blameworthy, of either good or bad. Hmm. If truth doesn't exist as this thing that is outside of ourselves, the entire basis for morality uh, dissolves. Yeah. The, the entire basis for uh, right and wrong dissolves. Yeah, because who cares? Who cares? Whatever you want to do. Just do your thing. Um, can you real quick share the example of the fence at your house? Oh, Sure. We live on a busy street. Um, as I mentioned, we live just down the block from the cathedral here. And we live at so 6th in Duluth. And 6th uh, is a bit busier. Duluth can be when there's mass or whatnot. But um, when we bought the house a couple of years ago, the first thing we did was we put up a fence around the yard. Um, but it took a couple of months for the contractor to come in and do the fence. And before the fence was there, our children were a bit, um, they're, they're a bit fr- frightened, you know, not scared, but like they stayed really close to the house, appropriately so. There are cars zipping by, there are strangers walking past on the sidewalk. Um, but when the fence went in, a whole new world of play opened up to them in the mm-hmm. yard. They're now mm-hmm. going further from the house, they're exploring, they're having fun. The Having this um, having this order that was established by this boundary, it opened up a world of freedom to them, you know? So now they felt free to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there were harms out there. Yeah. Yeah. I had my friend Shane Van Deest, you know Shane, yeah. on a couple of weeks ago, and that was really the heart of our conversation. I think I named the episode Rules Let You Play. Mm. And and it, it it's so... Um, powerful when we really start to think about this. He had used the example of uh, if you go to a fancy dinner and you have a million forks sitting out in front of you, right? right. Because it's right. Knowing the etiquette, right. knowing the rules actually allows you That's right. to enter in and enjoy without worrying or without, you know, and with, with being able to eat the best food with the right utensil to That's get right. the best thing. Like, my cousin sells wine glasses, and there's different wine glasses for different wines because yeah. it allows you to really experience it fully. That's awesome. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. So I just, yeah, it's beautiful. And yeah, so the idea to just take it a step further is that there is order like this within the cosmos itself. God put it there. Yeah. Um, and you don't necessarily need to be a Catholic to see it. Yeah. You know, people who talk about the natural law, just very simply going from what is to going from is to ought, looking at what is. Okay, there's, I'm looking at this fork. What is it for? Yeah. Well, I can discern from looking at it. There's, okay, these little pointy things on this end. There's a part for grabbing it on this end. Yeah. No, it's for eating food. Yeah. You know, we can go from the, the structure of what is within the universe 
to just discerning um, the rules that yeah. help us live freely. Yeah, yeah, So absolutely. Okay, so when we're looking at um, the role specifically of um, of government and of policies, so most most states, I know I've got a lot of listeners in South Dakota, but across across the United States, shout out to California, I've got listeners in California, wow. um, a lot of states just went through their kind of, what do you call it, general sessions, right? Yeah. Um, they're still in them. Maybe. They're still in them. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe still in them. Um, what's the role of government in, uh, in working to protect freedom and, um, and how does a Christian, I think, engage well in what's going on? So I've been kind of watching some of the policies that have come out locally, but also nationally, um, What's the government's role? And then how does a Christian engage in this in a healthy way? Well, you use this word policy a couple of times. And just uh, uh, briefly unpack the etymology, like the root of policy. It comes from the word polis. It's a Greek word for city. Really? You know, so when you think of like policy, politics, politician, it comes from the Greek word for, for city. Think of like a metropolis. Yeah. You know, a polis. Yeah. It's a city. A and a, okay. So a city is... Um, a city is a, is a is a group of people that are, that are living together, and human beings uh, discovered um, at some point in time when they started living in cities together. You know, you can read Aristotle um, from millennia ago to kind of learn a little bit about this. That it's helpful to have rules that keep people safe. Yeah, that keep people safe, and but not only keep people safe, like free from harm, but that help us live. Flourish. To help us flourish. Yeah. You know, so, well, what are these rules? Are these rules, are these policies, are these laws just sort of the um, the arbitrary results of human will? I th- uh, the, the people in power think it and enact it, therefore it is good and right. Um, in the Catholic mind, um, policy or law is is a precept of reason that has been promulgated by uh, an authority, you know, of those who are uh, have the authority to govern mm-hmm. uh, the polis, if mm-hmm. you will. So, so we, we look back to really reason as the basis for policy and law. And when I say reason, I, m- I mean that to say that it's not, uh, it's not an arbitrary result of, of will. Well, I'm the king and I say so. It's not might makes it's not a right. Dictator. It's not a dictator. It's not might makes right, and neither is it pure, um, a pure revelation, if you will. Um, Pope Benedict makes the point um, that Christianity, God in His wisdom, saw fit to enter the world um, to take on flesh. The incarnation happened at this moment in time in which three things converged in human history. Um, the Jewish people and their covenant with God, Greek rationality and Roman law. And those things gave rise to um, Christianity and having an influence in in law even. And and he says that Christianity is the first religion in the history of man that that doesn't use pure revelation, if you will. Um, Like God came down in a cloud and just said, 
this, this is, is what you will do. This is so, therefore, just do it. Don't right. even think about it. Just right. do it. Right. So that when we th- when we talk about um, what is good policy, and you know, I know we want to talk about the Equality Act. So just even thinking about like um, marriage, marriage as a natural institution. Well, we we know that it's founded in in God's will for us, like a right understanding of marriage. But it's also an eminently rational thing. When when um, um, when people uh, have when a man and a woman have a, a relations with one another, that tends to produce babies. Like we know that that's just nature. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Sorry, earthquake I revelation resist. there, and. And we also know that like the the best, most stable form for like raising children is a stable relationship a stable between house. between yeah. the man and woman that that created the child. Yeah. Like that's just that's a very eminently yeah. rational thing. Yeah. So statistically we see this. Like yes, you see it and then you totally, can prove it over and over and over it's again. It's very but, provable in the social sciences. Yeah. Um that the children and right. so so we can say that even within the natural law that that children have a right to a mother and a father. And that when a government recognizes what marriage is as an authentic natural institution, it's it's acting in the interests of its citizens and, and raising future citizens. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's do this. I want to do this with the Equality Act. Sure. First of all, what is the Equality Act? Sure. And what principles um, does it uh, potentially mm. infl- inflict? Upon, well, the the Equality Act, um, the authors of bills get to pick their names. Okay. So I uh, sometimes it's even hard to like use the phrase the, the phrase. Equality Act yeah. because it's like it, it's it's a, like a it's a slogan. Yeah. You know, it's a political slogan that's been chosen. Um, so the Equality Act is a bill that's kind of been out there for a while. A couple of years ago, um, it's a federal bill. A couple of years ago, it was passed through the House. But didn't um, wasn't given a hearing in the Senate. Um, now that uh, the Democratic Party has control of both chambers of Congress and the White House, it's progressing again, and it's passed through the House of Representatives, and um, is not likely to pass the Senate so long as the filibuster remains intact. But what it is um, is it's a rewrite of civil rights law. So think back to the 60s with Jim Crow and uh, African Americans not, you know, not being served at lunch counters or being told they had to go to the back of the bus. Terrible. Yeah, really awful stuff, um, morally just horrendous. Um, the Equality Act rewrites civil rights law to include uh, categories such as sexual orientation and gender identity as protected categories under federal law. Um, In doing so, it also um, removes protections, federal protections under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, a law that was passed in the early 90s that um, put a robust standard in place for judges to use when they were looking at religious freedom claims or religious freedom exemptions from otherwise generally applicable laws. Now, the the reason this is problematic, um, we could talk about many, many ways in which it's problematic. Um, One of the reasons in in which it's it's problematic, I mean, people would say like, 
yeah, nobody should be discriminated against, right? Right. It's like, of course, you know, everybody should be, um, everybody, there are just basic rights that every human being has. Everybody, every human being has dignity, is entitled to respect uh, as a human being. Everybody's entitled to access to basic health care, to, to, to food and water. Everybody's entitled to education, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But the ways in which we can expect that um, the Equality Act would be used if it was in federal law, we can already see the ways in which it would uh, that its uh, similar laws have been used at the state level, um, which really are not as a shield to protect um, people who identify in a certain way, but as a sword, rather, to coerce every other American to agree with their their view of themselves. So to just give a famous example of a, um, a man in Colorado named Jack Phillips, Jack... Uh, has a, a bakery, or at least he, he did. I'm not sure if he's still operating. He had customers that he had a, a longstanding relationship with certain customers and sold them many, many baked goods over the course of their uh, business relationship. He got to know them. Uh, one day they came in and said, uh, Jack, uh, these are two men. They said, Jack, we're getting married. We'd like you to bake our cake uh, for our, our wedding reception. And And he said, I can't, you know, I can't do that for you. I'm a, um, I don't believe that that's right. And I just, you know, you can buy anything out of the case, out of the Baker case here, buy the, buy the, you know, a couple dozen cookies or buy this unfrosted cake. I just won't use my creative abilities in, in that way. Um, and uh, there was a lawsuit that entailed, went up to the Supreme Court. He was ultimately was vindicated as soon as it, um, as soon as that, case was over, he got sued by another person who wanted him to decorate a cake celebrating uh, uh, a gender transition party. Um, so basically, what the Equality Act is intended to do is to get all Americans to agree with the ideological claims underlying gender theory and um, in a, in a homosexual lifestyle. That's not to say that um, there aren't people that experience same-sex a, a, attraction. That would, we certainly know there are many of them that that are longing uh, and pursuing lives of holiness, chastity, et cetera, et cetera. But when they say protecting uh, sexual orientation, what they mean is a view of a sexual uh, a view of sexual orientation that incl- includes this whole lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's problematic in many regards. Uh, public accommodations are bound up in this law. It's a very broadly defined term that would include many, many uh, religious entities in the definition of public accommodations. Mm-hmm. Um, so One of the examples that kind of triggered this concern for me was uh, there was a uh, young man who was an athlete that – went through a gender transition surgery uh, and began competing with women, young women, girls in track and field. Mm. Uh, He had never won uh, the state championship or whatever um, and, and consistently came in, you know, further down on the list. 
And when he joined the female track team, he won. Yeah. And we know that biologically, I mean, the musculature of men and women is different. Um, And I'm looking at these girls working their butts off uh, in their sport, in their, in their field. And to have a anatomically, literally muscular um, difference in musculature uh, person come in and compete uh, and beat them out. This is, I mean, this is happening all over the place. It's like, man, this is not fair to these right. young girls right. that are working really hard that are that are simply anatomically different. Most of the time, men are going to be stronger physically than women. Not always. There are like a whole right. lot of women that can lift, you know, eight hundred pounds or whatever. Yeah. But most of the time, broadly speaking, um, that and and to to me, that was one of the concerns that that kind of came forward was under this act, if I understand it correctly, um, no, they can compete, right? Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really sweeping. So one of the, the things that we might include within the history of the gambit of federal civil rights law would be title nine, which doesn't arise from, um, African-American civil rights, but, but for women just, I mean, you talk to your, talk to your grandma or maybe even your mom, depending on, on when she came of age, but girls didn't used to have choices in sports. If yeah. they had sports at all, it was maybe you get tennis and maybe one other. But Title IX said, no, uh, girls deserve sports. a level playing yeah. field. They yeah. deserve as many sports as boys. And um, and this would completely upend Title IX. So. Yeah. So I want to go back one more time because I um, – I think in talking about this, this is this is where my concern that I was stating earlier. I'm concerned about this. Mm. I'm concerned about um, young girls in this way, or I'm concerned about you know I'm a, I'm the executive director of of a private religious agency. Um, this would put some major, major, major uh, pressure on yeah. me as a leader to lead in a particular way that doesn't right. align with what I know to be true and right. actually to lead towards the good, authentic flourishing of the human person. Right. Um, it, it puts a bit of a target on the back, uh, sure does. if that makes sense. So uh, maybe just to conclude us, Chris, what would you say, what would you say to that in, in terms of hope and, and what mm. it means to be a Christian in the world? Yeah. Well, to be to remain hopeful to to have hope um there's really only one way to do that i think and it's to pray a lot yeah um and when i when i say that to pray a lot i don't i don't say that in a way that um understands prayer as this like thing that we can use to manipulate the world like pray a lot that the world will change yeah the thing about prayer is it changes it, me it changes me yeah so prayer makes me hopeful yeah um, yeah. And that's what the world needs yeah. most yeah. is people that are changed. Yeah. Um, and, and, and freedom hopeful. from worry. Right. Like that can so. bring about the freedom from worry. Right. I remember Father Joe Vogel saying, you know, you can be concerned, but there's a difference between concern and worry. Mm-hmm. And do not worry. It's not yeah. for us to worry about. Be concerned. Pay attention. Yeah. Chris, thanks so much for sharing your insights. Um, thanks for tuning in, folks. Until next time, live well. Live well.